0: Section two of Ways of Woodfolk This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ways of Woodfolk by William J. Long, Chapter two Fox Ways Part two The Fox, whose life has been spent in the hillsides surrounding a New England village, seems to have profited by generations of experience. He is much more cunning every way than the fox of the wilderness. If, for instance, a fox has been stealing your chickens, your trap must be very cunningly set if you were to catch him. It will not do to set it near the chickens. No inducement will be great enough to bring him within yards of it. It must be set well back in the woods, near one of his regular hunting-grounds before that however you must bait the fox with choice bits scattered over a pile of dry leaves or chaff sometimes for a week sometimes for a month till he comes regularly then smoke your trap or scent it handle it only with gloves set it in the chaff scatter bait as usual and you have one chance of getting him while he has still a dozen of getting away in the wilderness on the other hand he may be caught with half the precaution i know a little fellow whose home is far back from the settlements, who catches five or six foxes every winter by ordinary wire snares set in the rabbit paths where foxes love to hunt. In the wilderness one often finds tracks in the snow telling how a fox tried to catch a partridge and only succeeded in frightening it into a tree. After watching a while hungrily, one can almost see him licking his chops under the tree, he trots off to other hunting grounds. If he were an educated fox, he would know better than that. When an old New England fox, in some of his nightly prowlings, discovers a flock of chickens roosting in the orchard, he generally gets one or two. His plan is to come by moonlight, or else just at dusk, and running about under the tree, bark sharply to attract the chicken's attention. If near the house, he does this by jumping, lest the dog or the farmer hear his barking. Once they have begun to flutter and cackle, as they always do when disturbed, he begins to circle the tree, slowly, still jumping and clacking his teeth the chickens crane their necks down to follow him faster and faster he goes racing in small circles till some foolish fowl grows dizzy with twisting her head or loses her balance and tumbles down only to be snapped up and carried off across his shoulders in a twinkling but there is one way in which the fox of the wilderness and the fox of the town are alike easily deceived both are very fond of mice and respond quickly to the squeak, which can be imitated perfectly by drawing the breath in sharply between closed lips. The next thing after that is learned is to find a spot in which to try the effect. Two or three miles back, from almost all New England towns, are certain old pastures and clearings, long since run wild, in which the young foxes love to meet and play on moonlight nights, much as rabbits do, though in a less harem-scarum way. When well fed, and therefore in no hurry to hunt, the heart of a young fox turns naturally to such a spot, and to fun and capers. The playground may easily be found by following the tracks after the first snowfall. The knowledge will not profit you probably till next season, but it is worth finding and remembering. If one goes to the place on some still bright night in autumn, and hides in the edge of the open, he stands a good chance of seeing two or three foxes playing there. Only he must himself be still as the night, else should twenty foxes come that way, he would never see one. It is always a pretty scene, the quiet opening in the woods flecked with soft grey shadows in the moonlight, the dark sentinel evergreens keeping silent watch about the place, the wild little creatures playing about among the junipers, flitting through light and shadow, jumping over each other and tumbling about in mimic warfare, All unconscious of a spectator, as the foxes that played there before the white men came, and before the Indians. Such scenes do not crowd themselves upon one. You must wait long, and love the woods, and be often disappointed. But when they come at last, they are worth all the love and the watching. And when the foxes are not there, there is always something else that is beautiful. Now, squeak like a mouse, in the midst of the play. Instantly, the fox nearest you stands, with one foot up listening. Another squeak, and he makes three or four swift bounds in your direction, only to stand listening again. He hasn't quite located you. Careful now. Don't hurry. The longer you keep him waiting, the more certainly he is deceived. Another squeak. Some more swift jumps that bring him within ten feet, and now he smells or sees you, sitting motionless on your boulder in the shadow of the pines. He isn't surprised at least he pretends he isn't but looks you over indifferently as if he were used to finding people sitting on that particular rock then he trots off with an air of having forgotten something with all his cunning he never suspects you of being the mouse that little creature he believes to be hiding under the rock and to-morrow night he will very likely take a look there or respond to your squeak in the same way it is only early in the season generally before the snow blows that one can see them playing and it is probably the young foxes that are so eager for this kind of fun later in the season either because the cubs have lost their playfulness or because they must hunt so diligently for enough to eat that there is no time for play they seldom do more than take a gallop together with a playful jump or two before going their separate ways at all times however they have a strong tendency to fun and mischief making more than once in winter I have surprised a fox flying round after his own bushy tail so rapidly that tail and fox together look like a great yellow pinwheel in the snow. When a fox meets a toad or a frog and is not hungry, he worries the poor thing for an hour at a time, and when he finds a turtle he turns the creature over with his paw, sitting down gravely to watch its awkward struggle to get back on to its feet. At such times he has a most humorous expression, brows wrinkled and tongue out, as if he were enjoying himself hugely.' later in the season he would be glad enough to make a meal of toad or turtle one day last march the sun shone out bright and warm in the afternoon the first frogs began to tune up crunk 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 like a flock of brant in the distance i was watching them at a marshy spot in the woods where they had come out of the mud by dozens into a bit of open water when the bushes parted cautiously and the sharp nose of a fox appeared The hungry fellow had heard them from the hill above, where he was asleep, and had come down to see if he could catch a few. He was creeping out into the ice when he smelled me, and trotted back into the woods. Once I saw him catch a frog. He crept up to where Chigwoltz, a fat, green bullfrog, was sunning himself by a lily pad, and very cautiously stretched out one paw underwater. Then, with a quick fling, he tossed his game to land, and was after him like a flash before he could scramble back. On the seacoast, Reynard depends largely on the tides for a living. An old fisherman assures me that he has seen him catching crabs there in a very novel way. Finding a quiet bit of water where the crabs are swimming about, he drags his brush over the surface, till one rises and seizes it with his claw, a most natural thing for a crab to do, whereupon the fox springs away jerking the crab to land. Though a fox ordinarily is careful as a cat about wetting his tail or feet, I shall not be surprised to find some day for myself that the fisherman was right. Reynard is very ingenious, and never lets his little prejudices stand in a way when he is after a dinner. His way of beguiling a duck is more remarkable than his fishing. Late one afternoon, while following the shore of a pond, I noticed a commotion among some tame ducks, and stopped to see what it was about. They were swimming in circles, quacking and stretching their wings, evidently in great excitement.' A few minutes watching convinced me that something on the shore excited them. Their heads were straight up from the water, looking fixedly at something that I could not see. Every circle brought them nearer the bank. I walked toward them, not very cautiously, I am sorry to say, for the farmhouse where the ducks belonged was in plain sight, and I was not expecting anything unusual. As I glanced over the bank, something slipped out of sight into the tall grass. I followed the waving tops intently, and caught one sure glimpse of a fox as he disappeared into the woods. The thing puzzled me for years, though I suspected some foxy trick, till a duck hunter explained to me what Reynard was doing. He had seen it tried successfully once on a flock of wild ducks. When a fox finds a flock of ducks feeding near some shore, he trots down and begins to play on the beach in plain sight, watching the birds the while, out of the tail is e, as a scotchman would say ducks are full of curiosity especially about unusual colours and objects too small to frighten them so the playing animal speedily excites a lively interest they stop feeding gathered close together spread circle come together again stretching their necks as straight as strings to look and listen then the fox really begins his performance he jumps high to snap and imaginary flies, he chases his bushy tail, he rolls over and over in clouds of flying sand, he gallops up the shore and back like a whirlwind, he plays peekaboo with every bush. The foolish birds grow excited, they swim in smaller circles, quacking nervously, drawing nearer and nearer to get a better look at the strange performance. They are long in coming, but curiosity always gets the better of them. Those in the rear crowd the front rank forward. All the while the show goes on, the performer paying not the slightest attention, apparently, to his excited audience, only he draws back from the water's edge, as if to give them room as they crowd nearer. They are on shore at last. Then, while they are lost in the most astonishing caper of all, the fox dashes among them, throwing them into the wildest confusion. His first snap never fails to throw a duck back onto the sand with a broken neck and he has generally time for a second, often for a third, before the flock escapes into deep water. Then he buries all his birds but one, throws that across his shoulders, and trots off, wagging his head to some quiet spot where he can eat his dinner and take a good nap undisturbed. When, with all his cunning, Reynard is caught napping, he makes use of another good trick he knows. One winter morning some years ago, my friend, the old fox-hunter, rose at daylight for a run with the dogs over the new-fallen snow. Just before calling his hounds, he went to his hen-house, some distance away, to throw the chickens some corn for the day. As he reached the roost, his steps, making no sound in the snow, he noticed the trail of a fox crossing the yard and entering the coop through a low opening sometimes used by the chickens. No trail came out. It flashed upon him that the fox must be inside at that moment. Hardly had he reached this conclusion when a wild cackle arose that left no doubt about it. On the instant he whirled an empty box against the opening. At the same time, pounding lustily to frighten the thief from killing more chickens. Reynard was tramped, sure enough. The fox hunter listened at the door, but save for an occasional surprised cut a cut, not a sound was heard within. Very cautiously, he opened the door and squeezed through. There lay a fine pullet, stone dead. Just beyond lay the fox, dead too. Well, of all things, said the fox hunter open mouthed, if he hasn't gone and climbed the roost after that pullet, then tumbled down and broken his own neck highly elated with this unusual beginning of his hunt he picked up the fox and the pullet and laid them down together on the box outside while he fed his chickens when he came out a minute later there was the box and a feather or two but no fox and no pullet deep tracks led out of the yard and up and over the hill in flying jumps then it dawned upon our hunter that reynard had played the possum game getting away with a whole skin and a good dinner There was no need to look further for a good fox track. Soon the music of the hounds went ringing over the hill and down the hollow, but though the dogs ran true and the hunter watched the runways all day with something more than his usual interest, he caught no glimpse of the wily old fox. Late at night the dogs came limping home, weary and footsore, but with never a long yellow hair clinging to their chops to tell a story. The fox saved his pullet, of course. Finding himself pursued, he buried it hastily, and came back the next night undoubtedly to get it. Several times since then I have known of his playing possum in the same way. The little fellow, whom I mentioned as living near the wilderness and staring foxes, once caught a black fox, a rare, beautiful animal with a very valuable skin, in a trap which he had baited for weeks in a wild pasture. It was the first black fox he had ever seen, and boy-like he took it, only as a matter of mild wonder, to find the beautiful creature frozen stiff, apparently, on his pile of chaff with one hind leg fast in the trap. He carried the prize home, trap and all over his shoulder. At his whoop of exultation the whole family came out to admire and congratulate. At last he took the trap from the fox's leg and stretched him out on the doorstep to gloat over the treasure and to stroke the glassy fur to his heart's content. His attention was taken away for a moment.' then he had a dazed vision of a flying black animal that seemed to perch an instant on the log fence and vanish among the spruces poor johnny there were tears in his eyes when he told me about it three years afterward these are but the beginning of fox ways i have not spoken of his occasional tree climbing nor of his grasshopper hunting nor of his planning to catch three quails at once when he finds a whole covey gathered into a dinner-plate circle tails in heads out asleep on the ground nor of some perfectly astonishing things he does when hard pressed by dogs but these are enough to begin the study and still leave plenty of things to find out for oneself. self reynard is rarely seen even in places where he abounds we know almost nothing of his private life and there are undoubtedly many of his most interesting ways yet to be discovered he has somehow acquired a bad name especially among farmers but on the whole there is scarcely a wild thing in the wood That better repays one for the long hours spent in catching a glimpse of him. End of section two.